This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation, find your next credit card, or loan for a big purchase, and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Friday afternoon, July 7th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Some experts say a strike at UPS could cripple the economy. We'll cover that in our next segment. But first, today's big government jobs report shows the economy added 209,000 jobs last month as the unemployment rate slipped to 3.6%. We welcome in Paul Christopher, the head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Uh, First off, 209,000 jobs. That's nothing to sneeze at, but that's relatively modest compared to the gains we have seen in previous months. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rob. Uh, If if we look at just this report by itself, 3.6% unemployment rate. That's fantastic. 209,000 jobs gain. That's very good for a normal month. Wage gains above 4%, still good there, but look where the puck is going. Job gains are slowing, uh, and we had revisions today to the prior months that took those numbers lower, uh, and we expect to see more participation from that group that's been mostly missing, uh, 25 to 54-year-olds. They need to get back into the labor force. They're finally back at a participation rate that exceeds the pre-pandemic uh, so uh, where the puck is going here is slowing labor markets, slowing economy, and a stock market that looks to us expensive, extended, and particularly narrow. We would be very careful with new funds here. Well, I know we uh, we like to talk about uh, various elements of risk on the noon business hour, but looking at some of the numbers inside this June jobs report and then just some of the analyses that have come out uh, in recent weeks just about the job market it, 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 in, in, in total, um, it, it, there's some really just some spectacular numbers in there, starting with that labor force participation rate at its highest number since the spring of 2001, and then another um, study that came out yesterday that said uh, the income gains by the, uh, the, the the people on the lowest levels of the earning ladder have wiped out almost a quarter of the economic inequality over the past 40 years. Yes, the wage gains have been tremendous. Unfortunately, inflation has uh, surpassed them. What we're looking for is for inflation to fall by enough that those wage gains stay high, inflation stays low, So those same people in the bottom three quintiles of the household income distribution, they actually get to increase their purchasing power with those extra funds. And then let's talk about some of the sectors that gained and some of the sectors that uh, saw some losses in the uh, most recent report. Uh, Strong gains, healthcare, and construction. Right. Uh, So start with construction. Uh, There's a chronic shortage of new homes. Uh, And so builders really uh, are treating those workers like just gold uh, and they need to build more homes uh, because we're just always short of supply there. Uh, And in healthcare too, we we just can't quite keep up 
But uh, but aside from that, notice also that the uh, the real gain, the real strength in this report was in government way, uh, government jobs. The private sector, all things considered, gains and losses together was a rather anemic 149,000. Again, pointing to where the economy is headed going forward, we think it's slower with fewer job gains in the months to come. Paul Christopher, head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Thank you for joining us today. And Paul was on the Village of Bedford Park business line reminding you to bring your business home. Coming up, a potential UPS strike could have a major impact on the economy. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As a potential UPS workers strike looms, companies are starting to plan on how to navigate a situation that many analysts say could be devastating to the economy. We welcome in Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University based in Chicago. Joe, thank you for joining us today. Now, it's important to point out when we talk about this uh, impending UPS strike is that there's still time to, to reach a resolution. The, strike, the, the contract expires at the end of July, so there's still, still some time for the Teamsters and UPS to get back together and, and reach some kind of agreement. That's exactly right. And uh, furious negotiation. I think the uh, reason uh, tensions are high here is that we really just have, uh, you know, three major players in this sector, FedEx, United, U.S. Postal Service and UPS. DHL is a player, but they're mostly international. So the consequences of UPS striking are pretty big. And those business to business shipments are just so important. It's a uh, a lot, a lot of writing on this. And before we talk about the uh, impact on the economy, the major sticking points here, pay, uh, they managed to resolve air conditioning in the in the brown trucks, uh, cameras in the trucks that UPS says merely is a, a safety device, but the employees say it's surveillance. Uh, they both walked away from the table earlier this week. Uh, does it seem possible that some of these major sticking points could be resolved? Oh, and by the way, uh, there's new union leadership uh, at uh, on the UPS uh, for 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 the UPS employees um, at the because they weren't satisfied with the previous contract they currently have. That's right, and I think there's a bit of a fresh air with uh, with the new leadership there. And the surveillance thing is really interesting because it serves both ways. It can also protect employees, you know, if there is um, accusations of, of theft and that sort of thing. So uh, we're finding in other businesses the surveillance isn't proving to be a big deal. But clearly, UPS is a hard job. You're going in and out of that truck all day long. Uh, lots of um, pressure to meet schedules and so forth. So they may feel there's a piling on effect. Uh, but you know, but I have to say here, what's discouraging is the two sides still seem pretty far apart, and it's uh, uh, you can't turn the company on a dime uh, if if they do strike. There was a UPS strike that lasted for two weeks in the summer of 1997, but that was a very different world 26 years ago. And now UPS is a very important part, not only in e-commerce, but in just-in-time delivery. What would this mean if those brown trucks idled starting July 31st? Yeah, a different world. In fact, it's hard to imagine to go back to 96 and how you know the internet was sort of this novel thing. And now, of course, uh, it's just a way of life. And, and We've seen with the pandemic, those volumes have gone up so much. I mean, the one one good thing is that Amazon, as we've been studying here at DePaul, has more or less built a completely independent network. So they're not hugely dependent on UPS. So the Amazon shipments would mostly be unaffected. But I will say just everything about today's supply chain, from 
manufacturers getting parts to uh, auto repair shops, you know, needing uh, replacement items. Those are all mainly UPS. They're a little bit cheaper often for those kind of things than FedEx. So a lot of them are hedging their bets and then building a relationship with FedEx in case the worst case happened were to occur. And, and then when it comes to uh, FedEx and the Postal Service, I mean, does the, is there any slack in the system that would allow them to accommodate this uh, business from UPS uh, in the event UPS goes on strike? Well, we do have the lead-up time here. So FedEx uh, will tool up the UPS, uh, of course, uh, uh, is such a big player. They tend to be a little bit bigger in the ground shipment, but maybe a little smaller in FedEx on the air shipment, so they have different specialties. But there is some slack in the system. I think what's, uh, what's most at risk here is that overnight delivery, which the U.S. Postal Service doesn't specialize in with those late cutoff times of 6, 7 o'clock uh, the night before. And, and that's going to be tough to replace because those FedEx planes are, are, you know, FedEx cut back actually during the pandemic to try to uh, limit that excess capacity. And, and now this happens. And then very quickly, Joe, uh, we talk about uh, the impact of home delivery, but uh, business-to-business delivery, if that breaks down, what does that mean for you, the average customer? It just certainly means that uh, you're just going to be waiting and you're going to find a lot of the small businesses that don't keep inventory on stock are going to be hamstrung. Now, they're going to try to stock up a bit on things that they use all the time, Uh, but I I will say... uh, uh, just the hundreds of thousands of different parts, the different uh, uh, components and, and electronics, all that moves on this system. And uh, I don't think UPS has much chance to keep some semblance of an operation going if there were a strike. It's just too big, too complicated. Uh, pilots are too scarce. I think you would see the whole company grounded for uh, until the new contract was reached. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services at DePaul University, thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, the battle between Meta and Twitter heating up big time. Discussing the news affecting your money, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Meta's new Twitter competitor, Threads, has exploded in growth in the first few days. Joining us now to discuss how the two social networking platforms stack up is Dan Gallagher, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column based in San Francisco. And Dan, this is certainly a clash of the titans between two tech giants. You have Mark Zuckerberg in one corner, Elon Musk in the other. And uh, it seems like if you read between the lines, already trading some barbs on their respective social media platforms. (laughs) Uh, They sure are, um, especially because one is threatened to sue the other. Um, But, you know, I mean, Elon Musk has some reason to be worried here because a lot of Twitter kind of copycats have come up in the time that he's uh, in the time that he's owned it, and Threads by Meta, the parent company Facebook, is like really the first one that's got getting really serious traction and posed a real threat. Well, it's really easy to sign on. It's not like Blue Sky or some of the others where you need an invitation and to find a server, and and there's all sorts of hoops to jump through. If you have an Instagram account, uh, you can basically sign up for Threads right now. In my own experience, Dan, because I signed up yesterday, uh, there are some things in the in the user interface that I still find you know not uh, the most intuitive in the whole wide world, and it's it's based on the algorithm. You're not finding content from people you follow in the order in which it's posted and that does that sound like a a common gripe among threads users in the early going uh that's been my experience as well i signed up like you yesterday so i've been i've been playing with it um i think you know i think it's important to remember that 
Um, there's not the they're not going to be the same capabilities right off the bat. Twitter has had a long time to kind of evolve its service, and so I think what we see today is not necessarily what's going to be on Threads even a month from now or six months from now or a year from now. I think it's going to keep building. Uh, Zuckerberg and his lieutenants have all made that clear. Um, I but what you what's undeniable right now is the traction. I mean, he just said less than an hour ago that 70 million people have signed up already, and that's in a 24 hour period. And when you consider that Twitter's user base is about, I think, a little over 300 million daily active users, that's a pretty significant chunk, That um, and that's a reason that Twitter's worried. But there, there are some things in Twitter's evolution that uh, Threads needs to find, because going back to 07, 08, 09, uh, you would have uh, professional athletes hanging out there. You know, Chad Ochocinco was a big uh, Twitter celebrity in the early going, and uh, it's kind of hard to remember, but uh, Justin Bieber was a big growth driver for Twitter uh, in 2008 and 2009, and of course it was the place to be to get real-time information on those protests in Iran 14 years ago. And it seems like Threads needs to find its place, whether it's a celebrity or a breaking news story, to really uh, give it some relevance. Yeah, sorry, I lost you. See, very quickly, you know, there, there just needs to be a big event, it sounds like, to uh, that, that where, where Threads is the center of the action to really kind of give it a leg up against Twitter. Uh, I think I think that's exactly the case. And I think that's actually why they decided to launch it through Instagram, because, you know, Instagram already has this huge base of uh, celebrities and, and, you know, media figures and such to kind of parlay that into. Um, I do think that one thing Threads really needs to develop is, you know, more of a way for people to do this from a professional standpoint, you know, for power users that were on Twitter's platform, the people that have been annoyed by some of Twitter's policy changes uh, you know, you need desktop uh, capabilities and such like that. Uh, so I think there's a lot that's needed for Threads if they're going to keep their momentum, for sure. Um, but, you know, the early momentum is really strong, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Dan Gallagher of the Wall Street Journal, based in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead, we meet the co-founder of a bakery in Evanston that's now finding success in Lake County. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Hiring slowed last month, but with rising wages and low unemployment, the labor market remains resilient. This is Bernie Tafoya. Investigations are underway into allegations some Chicago police officers had sexual relations with newly arrived migrants. It's Entrepreneur Friday. We talk to the co owner of the Hewn Bakery in Evanston, and the market's had a solid run in the first half 
half of the year, but the Dow theory is still bearish. We'll explain why. Business, the markets are higher, in fact, today. The Dow is up 98 points. The NASDAQ is up 124. And the S&P 500 is up 29. 77 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies, going up to a sunny 80. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, U.S. hiring slowed in June, but a still solid 209,000 jobs were added. And a sign of the economy's resilience, Mark Hamrick is the senior economic analyst with Bankrate.com. In this world where inflation has been a primary economic concern, the June jobs report provides a bit of relief where some had been worried that a hiring boom might have been in process. Hiring is clearly moderating as we dive into the latest employment report with 209,000 jobs added in June. The unemployment rate fell to 3.6% from 3.7%, and it's near a five-decade low. Investigations are underway into allegations Chicago police officers may have had inappropriate interactions with newly arrived migrants. The details from WBBM's Bernie Tafoya. Hundreds of newly arrived migrants have been sheltered by the city and Chicago police stations due to lack of available space elsewhere. Now the police department's Bureau of Internal Affairs and the Civilian Office of Police Accountability are looking into whether officers at the Ogden District on the west side may have had sexual relations with migrants. One of them is said to be a teenage girl who is pregnant. The mayor's office says the city takes the allegations very seriously, as well as the care and well-being of all residents and new arrivals. Bernie Tafoya, News Radio, 1059 WBBM. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. The markets are higher this afternoon. And joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist with the Carson Group in Omaha, Nebraska. Ryan, thanks for joining us again today. When we last spoke at 1020, the markets were still mixed, but now it seems like the three major indices have uh, developed a little bit of lift going into the afternoon. Yeah, you're right. I think they listened to us. We said that jobs report was good, <laughs> <laughs> and buying came in. But you're right. I mean, you, you've hammered home this jobs report. It's kind of what the Fed wanted to see, right? Still jobs growth, but slower. This is the slowest jobs print, 209,000 in 30 months. If you hear that, you're like, oh, my goodness, that's not good. But it's still 209,000 jobs. We, we just don't see a recession out there. And I think the realization yesterday was kind of an ugly day. You could pick a reason why. Stocks have had an incredible run, one of the best starts of the year ever. Little pullback yesterday. I love seeing buying on a Friday. One quick comment here. This is a historically strong year for stocks on a Friday. And that you go back in history, that shows there's confidence ahead of the weekend. Let's remember bear markets. Let's remember COVID. People sell on Fridays. We're seeing the opposite. We'll see where we close here, but that's a nice change, and we're seeing it today. And, and, and obviously, does this change the math, though, for the Fed as they uh, contemplate uh, another quarter point uh, hike in the interest rate? Uh, what's, what's the dovish perspective? What's the hawkish perspective? Yeah, I don't know if it changes too much. The bottom line here, the Fed likely will hike in a couple weeks. Uh, today, the wage growth came in a little bit more than, than what was expected. But the hawkish point is this. The Fed might have one more hike, and then they're done. Look back in history when the Fed hikes and then pauses. That's what we're going to likely see here. One year later, the S&P was higher eight out of ten times. This is going back decades. So just because the Fed stops hiking, that isn't a bearish signal. In fact, it's normally a positive signal. Now, the hawkish side, this is not the side we believe in, by the way. The hawkish side is, hey, you know, we're seeing core inflation sticky. We're seeing some parts of inflation that's been sticky. So the Fed might just keep on hiking here. We don't think that's going to be the case. We think the inflation data will continue to trickle lower, likely saying maybe one more hike. And then probably done and take the training wheels off let the economy go by its own and we still think it's in pretty good shape 
Now, let, let's imagine a world in which inflation uh, gets to, uh, let's say, the low threes or the high twos. We've arrived yep. at the, Fed or the Fed's target, and inflation has basically cooled off. Uh, the interest rate, hike cycle, interest rate hike cycle is over. What does this look like now for the American consumer because inflation is no longer eating away at all of those wage gains uh, they made over the last couple of years? Yeah, hopefully that's, uh, you know, maybe a more back to normal. I love the way you said that. And that, that's kind of what it would be, right? Because, again, we've seen wage growth, but like you said, in, inflation's been eating away at it. And, and we think that's the case. Now, let's be very clear. Last decade or so, from 2010 to, to COVID, really, 2% inflation is what we saw. We do think moving forward, maybe 3 or so percent, low 3% inflation is kind of where things are going to bottom out here. But, again, that's that's historically what inflation's been, 3 3.5%. We just had a historically low decade there, and COVID shook things up. But, I mean, it is a positive thing. I mean, real quickly and simply on this, when you look at years where inflation is down overall, which clearly we're seeing this year, stocks are up like 13.5% on average. Years they're up, stock, years inflation's up, stocks are only up about 6% on average. We talked about this on the Carson Investor Research Team with inflation likely lowered, probably a tailwind for stocks. And fortunately, that's happened, and consumers are going to like it too, with wages still solid and inflation still coming back. And then what are some of the market movers uh, coming up? We've gone through the jobs report. Uh, we probably have another inflation print mm-hmm. coming up, and then uh, those second quarter reports are going to start rolling in. Exactly. The second quarter reports start here in about a week and a half or so. Um, and the bottom line, again, what usually happens, right? Companies usually beat the lowered expectations. We don't see any reason not to expect that once again. And we do have a Fed report coming, our Fed um, FOMC meeting coming up also later this month. So that'll be something we're going to watch closely. But I'll just end with this. August, September, October tend to be months. It can be a little rocky, a little digestion, indigestion maybe. After the run we've had, we wouldn't be shocked at all if we saw a little pause here. But year are up at least 10% at the midpoint, like this year was, tend to have extremely strong fourth quarter. So maybe a little little break in the third quarter, perfectly normal for investors. The economy is still strong, likely um, with stocks moving higher before all is said and done when this year is over. Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist with the Carson Group in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, we meet one of the co-founders of the Hewn Bakery in Evanston. They're celebrating 10 years in business and just opened a second location at Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. And it's Entrepreneur Friday on the Noon Business Hour. Today we say hello to Ellen King, co-owner and head baker at Hewn Bakery, 1733 Central Street in Evanston. But also you guys have a new location in Libertyville. Ellen, thank you for joining us today. We Before we talk about your story of expansion, uh, how'd you get into this business uh, celebrating your 10th anniversary? Well, that's a longer story, Uh, but uh, I started this actually with my son out of our uh, apartment. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, we have one location in Evanston and a second one up in Libertyville. So, you know, it's kind of strange how things happen. Now, have you been have you have you been baking all your life? I mean, before you opened the restaurant, was it always like, hey, let's go over to Ellen's place. She has the good stuff. You know, actually, I went to culinary school and did not study baking because I am not good in math. So I tried to avoid the baking side. So I studied savory and worked in restaurants in Seattle before, you know, pursuing this. And then uh, what, what was kind of that uh, that leap of faith? I mean, you, you studied how restaurants work. You knew the business. Uh, but even then, you know, that, that still takes a, a, a great deal of courage to uh, go from studying the business to doing it yourself. 
Yeah, I mean, we I started making it out of my apartment, you know, just to kind of get myself better at bread. When I moved here from Seattle, I kind of just missed eating rustic uh, breads that utilized a starter. And, uh, and from there, I just kind of became literally possessed. And uh, my son and I, we formed a bread club and we delivered bread for customers all over uh, Evanston. And then, um, you know, I started connecting with local farmers and we started being able to source all of our grains locally. And one of my bread club club members uh, convinced me that, you know, we should actually open a a store. And uh, honestly, I I don't think I put too much thought into it because if I had, I might not uh, I might not have uh, have done this knowing how much work it is now. Now, this is quite an about-face, though, for someone who uh, originally shied away from baking, and then you're possessed by bread. I know. It happens. You know, I know there's a lot of people during the pandemic, right? Everybody started keeping a starter and making bread at home. It does become um, an addiction that, that takes over. So you open in 2013. You start this business in 2013. The world shuts down in uh, in March of 2020. And uh, let's talk about your P word. Let's talk about pivot. Uh, how'd you guys uh, pivot from uh, from from the traditional business to uh, living inside the world of COVID 19? Yeah, for us, it was actually a really unique time because you know we've been at a space on Dempster, and we had actually decided to move, and we bought a building that we were going to build out, and. We were complete with construction, almost ready to open March of 2020. So we ended up, because everything shut down, we had to pivot very rapidly in terms of, you know, trying to get this place inspected and complete so that we could actually move in here in April of 2020. So we kind of just did every major life event in, you know, a short span, moved the business. Uh, we moved uh, houses as well, uh, actually sold our house and bought a new house. We just did everything. Um, but moving into this space was what saved us because our old location, we didn't have air conditioning and we didn't have the space to spread out, which in our new spot, we have air conditioning, we had space so we could separate out our teams to keep everybody safe. I always love going into bakeries and asking the baker, you know, where and when do you make all of this stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah, we we actually start, um, you know, our, our first baker comes in between 2.30 and 3 a.m. And from there, kind of just like that's the start of the day and everybody starts rolling in. And then when you come to the bakery, if you come here at three in the afternoon, it's pretty much empty in the back. The front, we have our staff selling, but all the bakers, except for maybe one of them, are home for the day. So, you know, we end our we start early, but we end our days early. And then very quickly, uh, opening up a new location, Milwaukee Avenue in, uh, in Libertyville. And what was kind of the thought process into uh, becoming a chain, basically? <laughs> well, we're not a chain because we literally, it's just uh, my partner and I, the two of us that open and fund these. But uh, Libertyville, we, I would say it came from the customers. We had a lot of customers really advocating and hounding us to go up there. And we kind of fell in love with that community. And so it, it was really driven by our customers, you know, kind of telling us, hey, come up here, come up here. So, you know, we listened. 
Well, good luck to you, Ellen King, co-owner and head baker of the Hewn Bakery, 1733 Central Street in Evanston, now open at 348 North Milwaukee Avenue in Libertyville. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, a key stock market barometer is getting very close to bullish. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Stocks have had a solid run in the first half of the year, but the time-tested Dow theory still bearish. Joining us to discuss and what needs to happen for this indicator to turn bullish is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thank you for joining us today. And the, the Dow Theory tells us that uh, the, 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 the Dow is still in a, in a bearish territory, but it's oh so very close to turning over. It is, Rob. When you, in order for the Dow theory, which looks at two things, the movement of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the Dow Jones Transportation Average, you need both of those indices to go to uh, new intermediate highs. And, and those new intermediate highs would be on the Dow Industrials. It would be the, the, la- the late last year high of 34,589.77. So we're about a, a percent and a half uh, to two percent away from that. And in the Dow Jones transportation average, the previous important high is the early February high of this year, which is fifteen thousand six forty point seven zero. which, by the way, it has gone above that so far today. But the Dow theory works on closes and it also works on confirmation, which means that, A, you need to have closes above those levels and B, in order for the the, uh, the theory to turn bullish, you need both the industrials and the transports to go to new highs. So as you said, we're close. We're not quite there yet, but we're very close. Now, in, in this case, can you say the trend is your friend, that uh, we these these two levels, these two uh, closing levels, uh, we're not there yet. In the case of the transports, we're over, but who knows what 3 o'clock this afternoon will bring. But because we're close, that eventually uh, those levels will be surpassed? You, it would it would appear to be the case. I mean, you have had you know new significant highs in in the S and P 500. You've had a nice uptick in some of the other indices, such as the Russell 2000, which is starting to see better price action. So there is definitely momentum on the side of this to occur. Uh, you know, having said that, I've been watching these markets with the Dow Theory through the prism of the Dow Theory for about 40 years, and unfortunately, I have seen times when it comes right up against it and just can't punch through. So, you know, we prefer to let the markets tell the story here and and see if, in fact, you know, we do get those new highs in both of the indices. But I will admit that the momentum seems to be in favor of, of the of a bullish signal at this point. And then very quickly, uh, is it possible that uh, some seasonality comes into play, just, uh, you know, historic fluctuations in stocks as we go through July, August, and September? Uh, well, that could, although, you know, there's that old adage, you know, sell in May and go away, which I'm not sure has worked very well over, over you know, the last 10 years in, in, in total. So, you know, you typically kind of get into the, the summer doldrums here. But, uh, again, I kind of throw those things out. I think ultimately it will be interesting to see if we can go to those new highs because we're rallying into earnings season. And oftentimes when we rally into earnings season, the market kind of takes a bit of a stall as those earnings start to be reported. So it'll be interesting to see if this rally is discounting earnings already 
or uh, if the earnings can be enough to push both of the averages to new highs. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services based in uh, Hammond, Indiana. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of the Noon Business Hour, we'll have the Replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 